0: In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks a lot about having the right people in the right seats on the bus. Is the process of starting or growing a development team and getting those right people on the right seats on the bus for your organization a little daunting? Who should you hire? How much should you pay them? What should your expectations be for new staff? What is the best strategy for growing the development office over time? Well, let me tell you, we've got you covered. Join us for the Petrus Development Virtual Summit on growing your team Wednesday, January 26, 2022, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time. On this virtual summit, the Petrus team will be joined by experts such as a recruiter for religious nonprofits and the development director for major archdiocese who helped build their office from zero to 25 staff. Register today for the Growing Your Team virtual summit by visiting PetrusDevelopment.com slash education. See you there.
1: Welcome to The Holy Donors Podcast. Join Andrew, Matt, Wren, and me, Thaddeus, as every week we bring you inspiring stories of radical generosity that have changed the world. So, Andrew, you ready to get started? Can't wait.
0: Well, howdy, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of Catherine Drexel, the saintly socialite. We are Now done with our four episodes telling the story of Catherine Drexel and her challenges and everything else that she overcame to found a religious order to build schools all over the country and really inspire countless young women and young men who want to go out there and do good things for the Lord. So I'm excited to be back here for this uh, wrap-up episode, reflection episode. And so we've got Thaddeus. Welcome. Hey, hey. Great to be here. Good. We've got Matt. Thank you for joining us again, Matt.
2: Ho, ho, ho. Happy to be here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. And we've got Ren who joined us on the mics more this season. Thanks for being with us, Ren.
3: Glad to be back with you all once again.
0: All right. So Catherine Drexel was pretty great, and it was really fantastic to learn more about her story and her background and her history and challenges. So why don't we just start by opening it up and seeing what did you guys know about Catherine Drexel coming in? Matt, you and Ren were kind of the primary researchers. Why don't you start us off?
2: Sure. You know, to be honest with you, I'd heard her name before, but again, we've got another holy donor that I had no idea who she was before we started. I didn't know any of the history of it as we went along. So really when, when I started Catherine Drexel with Ren and we started doing the research, I started from a completely blank slate other than I knew she had to be a holy person because she's a saint. So I knew that, but that was only by assumption from from her name and her title.
0: Matt, you got to do a couple of interviews for this season. I know you talk with Catherine's great-great-grandniece Cordelia Biddle. So, what were some of the, your interviews like in doing the research?
2: It was really great. I enjoyed the conversation with Miss Biddle. You could tell that it was somebody very close to her in her life that was an important figure in her family. One interesting thing I found about her was that she's not Catholic, although Catherine Drexel is Catholic. Miss Biddle is not, and her family was not. You know, we talked about that kind of break off of the faith between the family, yet there's this really strong tie to. Catherine Drexel was still within the family. Totally loved it. It was a great, great conversation that we had with her.
0: And, Ren, how about you? You and Matt kind of took the heavy lifting on this. What was your research like? What, did, what were some of your takeaways from the, doing the research on Catherine Drexel?
3: So, similar to Matt, I basically was starting with a blank slate. I knew Catherine Drexel's name. I knew she was one of the first American born saints. I also knew Elizabeth Ann Seton was also one of the first American born saints. And I found, as we did research, that I basically had the two of them pretty mixed together back and forth with the facts that are alive. So there's a lot of learning to do, which is really exciting. And I knew Catholic schools and I knew she was a holy lady. And that's about it. And so it was <laughs> interesting to dig into her story and especially the different struggles that she went through. That was what I thought kind of really stood out to me is that it's presented as a cut and dried story. Give up all your money. Create a religious order. And it was not that simple. There was a lot more to it. Yeah. And I agree with Matt. Cordelia Francis Biddle and her book Saint Catherine. Her book was extremely enlightening. It was a great book, and our interview with her I really enjoyed. Uh, she was very forthcoming. gave us a lot of kind of family history that it'd be hard to get anywhere else. Uh, it was interesting, like Matt said. They had the there's kind of the divide. Catherine's uncle Tony, who is Cordelia's great grandfather, if I have that right, he is the one who converted away from Catholicism for his wife, and so that branch of the family is Episcopalian. And kind of Cordelia told us behind the scenes that for the most part, the, her side of the family didn't talk about Catherine. Her grandfather would have been Catherine's cousin, and he never mentioned her ever, she said. Wow. This is something Cordelia kind of came to later on. She kind of got to know the family history and the connection there and started researching Catherine. And she's had lots of involvement. You know, she was at her canonization in St. Peter's. It's a different connection than I would have expected, but it was pretty cool to see, to talk to, and discuss the the family life of a great american saint with one of her relatives that was a pretty neat opportunity
2: i want to give a shout out to ren as we uh, started this episode i had a lot of difficulty in keeping up with all the different pieces ren came in and kind of hit a home run and in, in, in his help and putting his pieces together this i think Catherine drexel's story fits in with with a lot of what you enjoy ren isn't that right
3: yeah, that's right. Just the history. I love that time frame of American history too, that end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and just everything that's going on in the country and there's a dichotomy of the relatively well developed east coast and you move off into the frontier and see what's going on there. I love all of that and exploring that and seeing what people's lives were like in that time. So I really love the story going back to Cordelia
0: that she shared about being there in St. Peter's Square and, you know, it's pouring and they're standing in water. And then basically like the clouds part and the sky opens up and there's like this moment of peace and tranquility right there as, uh, you know, the Pope is making this pronouncement. That was really cool. And especially for somebody who hasn't grown up Catholic, hasn't lived this life. That must have been, (laughs) I mean, a pretty spiritual moment for her just to see be witness to that. So Thaddeus, you and I kind of had a unique perspective where we weren't the ones doing the research on Catherine Drexel, but we were learning about it kind of through this process, right?
1: We had a season on Catherine Drexel. I didn't even know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I yeah. missed that.
0: Hey, welcome to the party, buddy. <laughs> hey.
1: <laughs> yeah, we did lose you. <laughs> I was uh, I was bowled over yeah. next to a next to a toilet, unfortunately. Yeah, we we lost you. That was rough. Y'all came into College Station to do the recording. And that just happened to coincide with when I got the tail end of a stomach bug that swept through my family. It uh, it really took my wife and a couple of my kids down, and I got the tail end of it after, a couple weeks later.
0: That kind of is, we're talking about what's our season insight. That was our big curveball for this season, right, is that we were... We do these, we set them up, we prepare so that it's uh, the four of us. And then to lose somebody, lose you Thaddeus, really kind of changed the dynamic hey, of the then season. not a curveball
1: but- for you, Andrew, it was more like a punch in the gut for me. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so I was there for episode one. And then I think I remember I was coughing a great deal. And then I was, my energy levels were, were super low. And I felt, I think I had to get up and... We took a break after recording the first episode, and I said, Hey, I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. And then I just had to, I think I had to text you and say, Hey, I got to go home. And then I was, I was out of commission for the rest of the recording weekend. So, yeah, if you want to talk about experiencing this season from a remove, I think that I was at the greatest remove, certainly. But I will tell you, I listened to the raw audio of the Rascob episodes that hadn't yet been released publicly. I was listening to those while I was going through my, my sickness. And that helped me pull through because I had you guys, I had you guys with me. I had the banter and I still felt like it was kind of there. And so that was, that was really good spiritually for me. No, no joke, no joking around.
0: Good. Well, we certainly missed you and it changed the dynamic, but we're glad that you're squirrel scratchy, itchy, was Squeaky well taken care of. Or Squeaky, I don't uh, <laughs> <laughs> squeaker. Yeah, something like that. Okay, great. So let's kind of go into reflections and takeaways from the season. Matt, you want to start us off? What were your primary takeaways from doing the research and then telling the story of Catherine Drexel?
2: I really struggled telling the story of Catherine Drexel. It, it was a struggle to connect with her until it felt like it almost completely came together when I could see her full picture. Of her life as we backed out. But as far as takeaways for that, I think, again, it comes down to this decision that she made, a decision that was countercultural. Back then, it's countercultural today, to give up everything and become a nun as, as what she did. Not only that, she created her own order. I mean, that's countercultural in any season that we live in, yet even so much more for somebody who who grew up in this, again, lap of luxury. She had everything she ever wanted, yet she gave it all away. So I guess my biggest takeaway is this decision of hers to to give everything away, to go against the culture, give away her money, to give away her family, because there was this divide that was created. As soon as she went to join the convent to start her novitiate, the three of them, the, the three sisters, there was this divide that, that started between the two of them that – that created kind of two different worlds that they lived in that had to have been a difficult thing for her. And then on top of all that, I mean, she gave away every piece of luxury that even we consider a luxury, not even those who have great wealth, but for those who live well, but just not with great wealth, even those luxuries, she gave, she gave all that away to follow this path, this greater end. And so for me, it's it's this decision that she went through and that she made that it's so awesome, inspiring, but also so different from anything that we hear, see, and and know of today.
0: Matt, one of the points that I want to make about that is, I think it was at episode three or episode four, where we were talking about this. And before she made that decision and part of it was, you know, just this confusion about like what direction am I gonna go. But she struggled a lot with depression, right? And anxiety. Yeah. And then it was after she said, This is my decision. You know, she sends that letter to Bishop O'Connor and says I'm doing this. Then that was when the rest of her life was, you know, filled with challenge, of course. But that's where her writings really took on more of I, I feel fulfilled. I have joy in my life. So even though it was a shocking decision on her part that you would think would take her down this path of like, I don't have any material needs. I can't take a shower every day. You know, all of these luxuries, I guess, so to speak. That was when she found joy in her life.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So Ren, uh how about you? What were some of your takeaways from the Catherine Drexel season?
3: You know, I really did not realize that her branch of high society existed in the United States did you guys' wives make you watch Downton Abbey back in the day? No. Nobody? Absolutely not.
1: Yes, <laughs> my wife did. <laughs> yes. My wife didn't make me. I wanted to. Just I didn't watch it. Never saw an episode. You would, that is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it really felt like the American version of that show where they've got the servants and the butlers in the house and giant estates and the, at least they've got the country estate and... We didn't talk as much about that early part of Catherine's life as we could have. There's the whole high society culture. There's, you know, you're making your public debut into society and all the different uh, ceremony around that. And that's all stuff that Catherine went through that you don't see that anywhere in society in America now. So it was interesting to dig into that. And then, like Matt said, the fact that she gave that all up and there was a, a big cost to her decision, right? Like there was some divide from her sisters, but even more divide from her cousins who she was raised by uncle Tony for a while when she was young, she grew up around those cousins her whole life. And then she starts a religious order and she's gone. And like, I think Cordelia mentioned, it was almost threatening to others in her circle. You know, she's giving up all of this and going to serve the poor. I'm not doing that. What does that mean about me? And they kind of really, there was a big divide and the family from that point on so it wasn't as simple as just giving up the money and going to serve there was a lot of personal cost involved with all of it
0: yeah i think you make an excellent point there ren you know she didn't make this decision to put shame or judgment onto you know her family but they you know in some cases that's just natural tendency is to say well you know their decision affects me because now i have to grapple with am i doing what i'm being called to do and am i acting in a way, you know, that's, that's maybe selfish just because of her complete generosity. And uh, anyways, it, it's an interesting question. It was something we all struggle with, you know, on, on the daily, but that took it to a whole new level. And especially when, uh, you know, I didn't realize, but you know, when she did this, I mean, there were like newspaper headlines around the country about Catherine Drexel giving up her life and, and giving away her fortune and joining this religious order. And so it wasn't even something that like happened you know in the house it happened nationwide which is kind of crazy you know Cordelia compared her to Paris Hilton just in the st- <laughs> not Paris Hilton her personality right but just Paris Hilton like this you know grand celebrity who everybody knows about and then all of a sudden she makes this radical decision and it affected everybody especially her family and cousins so that's an excellent point Red. thanks for putting that out Catherine Drexel spent a great deal of time every day handwriting personal letters to the friends and supporters of her order to let them know about the work they are accomplishing. While this is a very effective way to stay in touch with your benefactors, it certainly is not very scalable. Today, we can spread our message far and wide by sending newsletters and appeals, and our friends at Palmer are the best there is when it comes to nonprofit direct mail. Palmer provides design, printing, and mailing services to help you with every step of the process at prices that are affordable for even small development shops before your donors open their hearts, they have to open the envelope. Learn more by visiting palmerprinting.com today. Are you looking for a chance to connect with other development professionals and learn the latest in fundraising best practices? If so, join us at the beautiful Naples Grand Resort in Naples, Florida for the 2022 Petrus Development Conference on June 13th through 15th. Connect with others from fundraising offices both big and small, from dioceses, campus ministries, schools, parishes, apostolates, and more. Register today at PetrusDevelopment.com slash PDC22. Register in the month of December to be entered into a raffle for free VIP guest access at the conference including special access to speakers, one-on-one time with Petrus staff, and behind-the-scenes insights into the Petrus conference and the team who puts it all together. Space is limited, so visit PetrusDevelopment.com PDC22 to reserve your spot today. So Thaddeus, how about you? What were some of your takeaways just from the bit that you were part of and then also just from, you know, learning the story as you've been listening to the episodes?
1: Yeah, I I have a number that I noted down, but I think the one I want to spend the time on here is sorrow and loss are not the end of our stories. She's a great example of that. Our faith teaches us that, you know, she lost her mother Then she lost her stepmother, to whom she was extremely close. Then she lost her father. And I'm sorry if I'm misremembering, didn't she lose one of her sisters as well? And this was all before the age of, what, 30? She had all of this loss and sorrow early, very, very early on in her life. And yet she took her faith. She poured herself into her faith. She trusted her Catholic faith to... Instead, turn her life into something glorious and and beautiful. She formed her life to the cross. That's really the reason why she should be a saint who's more widely publicized, especially in our society today, American Western society, where we have greater creature comforts than ever has been known to any civilization in human history. People who are barely living above the poverty line have luxuries that people of Catherine's stature didn't have access to or could even dream of, and yet we're also a society that's characterized by all these kinds of mental and spiritual and psychological disorders. Here's a woman who is living living those same strains in a a microcosmic way, and she didn't ultimately give into them. Instead, she let her faith transform them and make her life into something that was for the greater glory of God. And she can be such a witness to people if, like we tried to do, I think what we tried to do is the right path of if the fullness of the story is told, if the whole biography is told, and we, we can move beyond that Lives of the Saints overview. That's the real takeaway for me.
0: Yeah, I think that's really fantastic, Thaddeus. Thanks for sharing that. That kind of feeds into my takeaway is that one thing that struck me is, you know, we started, I think Matt sort of framed this season pretty well when he told us, I don't know if this was on the episode, but where Catherine was born holy, she became holier, and then she became even holier. And, you know, it was like, how do we tell a story about that? And, you know, in learning about it from you guys and in hearing the story back, It was these moments, it was constant moments that Catherine was presented with decisions, with pathways to go. And she over and over again chose the path of holiness, chose the path of virtue, chose the path of generosity. And I think that that for me was really inspiring and really cool. You know, she, I mean, we talked about how many trips she went on to Europe and the luxuries that she had in her life. And she made these decisions to forego those because she had this higher calling. And, you know, one of my favorite moments of the whole series was her meeting with Pope Leo where, you know, she's like, why don't you send people to care for the Native Americans and the the African Americans that are, you know, have nothing out in America? And he says, why not you, my child? Why can't you do that? And it was just like this very convicting moment, you know, of course it's the Pope, right? So you, you got to take that a little bit more seriously, but she had these decisions and and then she goes back and tells Bishop O'Connor, like I've made my decision. This is what I'm doing. And he says, well, yeah, I mean, basically like, yeah, I knew it all along. Nobody has a a higher call to live this life than you do. I just wanted to basically make sure that you were ready to do it. So.
1: Hey, can I spin off to of something you were saying there, Andrew? Also, I think that that life of pursuing holiness. I mean, she's living in the late 1800s, first part of the 1900s, and she really anticipates Vatican II's call for the universal call to holiness, that every Catholic is is called to live a life of holiness. It's not just for clerics. It's not just for those who have taken vows. It's every single one of us. And Now, true, she ends up becoming a religious sister, but that's a result of this decision much earlier in her life to pursue holiness. And so she's she's really re- remarkable in uh, in that respect, I think, too.
0: Great. Well, it sounds like to me, we're all in agreement that Catherine Drexel is definitely a holy donor. And I love that we were able to tell the story, but I also love that we're able to tell it not just of this like singular linear path of... I'm holy. I I just got to keep it up. Right. Like it was these these decisions that she made throughout her life. And I mean, the other thing that that I other takeaway, I guess I'll throw out there is Catherine was, you know, especially when she was uh, in the religious order, like she was kind of a badass. You know, I mean, she took on the KKK. She took on typhoid. Right. She, I mean, like she was a beast of a leader and a religious sister. And, you know, I think that that Put her in rare form in terms of like being willing willing to stand up for her conviction, stand up for her faith, and fight the good fight. And certainly, you know, was recognized through her canonization process. So really cool.
2: You know, she's also a unique holy donor. I don't know if you guys have caught on to this yet or not, but we've we've mainly shared stories of people who have created great wealth in their life, gave it away through radical generosity to change the world. Right? She, on the other hand, had great wealth and gave it away, but she was the one also doing the radical changes, making the changes in the world where most of those that we highlight, they're given away to somebody else who's going out to do the work. She not only gave it away, but she also did the work. So I thought that that's, she's kind of a unique yeah, for sure. person in that realm too. Makes her all the more remarkable.
0: Anything else before we wrap up and transition to our next season about George W. strake Sr.?
1: No, I'm just excited to learn about how George Strait is a Holy Donor and I didn't know he was Catholic great country musician. I'm I'm really excited about this.
0: <laughs> no, not not that guy. <laughs>
1: Matt, any any closing
0: remarks from you?
2: I was just going to say as we move forward with Holy Donors and new episodes, I think it's very fitting for us to make a simple statement of Saint Catherine Drexel, pray for us.
0: Excellent. Amen. Yeah, so as much as I would love to sing George Strait songs all day on the radio, Thaddeus, you are wrong. That is not who our next season is about, George Strait, the country music legend. We are talking about George W. Strait Sr., the Texas oil man who teaches himself to read and write by reading the Bible, grows up in extreme poverty, makes good, makes a lot of money, and becomes a very generous donor and uncovers literally helps uncover the bones of our first pope saint peter who was buried uh, somewhere that you're going to learn about in season number four so and i think the other cool thing about this season is we get introduced to some real titans of the church father walter carroll who was just a great guy talk about monsignor giovanni montini ultimately becomes pope paul the sixth Ludwig Koss, Antonio Ferrua, Margarita garducci just a, a whole cast of characters that I'm excited to talk about and share their stories in season four, George Drake.
3: Hey, Thaddeus, have you ever heard the name Wally Pitt before?
1: <laughs> Tell us about that, Ren.
3: You know, back in the 1920s, he was a first baseman for the New York Yankees, and he had a headache one day, so he decided to sit out a game, and his replacement was a guy named Lou Gehrig who supposedly took his spot from there on out. That one day sitting out, he lost his career.
1: And Wally Pitt was never heard from again.
3: (laughs) Watch out.
1: Are you trying to tell me something? (laughs) I can't wait to listen to it because I missed out on this season also due to the stomach bug. All right, well,
0: Matt and Wren and Wally, I'm, I'm thrilled that we can bring this season to an end and looking forward to everybody joining us coming back for season four, George W. Strake Sr., the Wildcatter. Thanks, guys. Can't wait. Can't wait.
1: I have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks
0: for joining us for this episode of Holy Donors brought to you by Petrus Development in cooperation with Red Sea Catholic Radio. Theme music by Tommy Kibb, Third Top Productions. Graphics by 86 Creative. If you like us, leave us a review, share us with your friends, and check us out at holydonors.com and on Instagram. Holy Donors, bringing you inspiring stories of radical
2: generosity that have changed the world. Does your nonprofit organization need to raise more money? Work with the leading teach-to-fish consulting firm, Petrus Development. Check us out at PetrusDevelopment.com.
0: I'm excited to do this reflection episode with you guys. So thanks for being here. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. Was that not
1: the right thing to say?
0: The engagement level is already impressive. Thank you very much.
3: Hey, it's almost Christmas. We gotta throw in a throw in a Christmas piece. It was just Christmas, actually.
2: Uh, Oh yeah, it was just Christmas. We gotta throw in a Christmas piece. (laughs) Okay, good.
1: I used amazed, and then (laughs) Andrew grinned at me, and I lost. it. I say it too? I don't even. Oh my gosh! (laughs) Oh lord!
2: Feel like a middle school, and I can't say the word like.
0: Amarillo by morning. Amarillo on my mind.